The Old Testament reading <coughs> is a bit of a continuation from two weeks ago. It's from Genesis chapter 32. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything he had. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket and Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And the man said, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And the man said, you will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him, and he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. A New Testament reading added at the last minute. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became an adult, I put an end to childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. These are the words from the letter to the Corinthians. Thanks be to God. When God meets us, we meet ourselves. The sun was going down and Jacob sent his, his family across the river and, um, and Jacob was there on the other side because he had some thinking to do. Tomorrow was going to be a big day. It was the first time in 20 years that he would be home and would see his brother Esau face to face. Now Esau was his older brother, older just by a few seconds really, and that, that gap of a few seconds was something that, that Jacob had to make up for his whole life. He was, there was the time that he had stolen the inheritance um, he had always told himself he traded it for that cup of stew, but, but he really stole it. And, and, um, and he had always told himself that Esau was just really dumb. And all of a sudden, this man had come out of the woods and was upon him. Here as he was thinking, it, and, and it was wrestling with this man. He was strong. Would he kill him? Is he, is he going to even make it to see Esau? Well, after all, it was what he deserved. Not only really did he steal the, the inheritance, but he also stole the blessing because he, he tricked Isaac into giving it to him. And, you know, always up till now, he'd blamed mom for that. Rebecca, 
She was always kind of manipulating the power and, oh, Jacob finally had a chance to breathe from this wrestling man and, and he, he remembered that first night when he was on the run from, from Esau. Esau was hot on his trail, ready to kill him and finally it was sundown and, and God showed up and met him and, and he named that place Bethel. If you were here two weeks ago, you heard about Bethel. And, and then he remembered how the next morning when he woke up, he bargained with God. And he said, if you will just keep me safe, if you will, will go with me and, and feed me and give me clothing, and, and if you'll bring me back home, then, then you'll be my God. I'll worship you. He said, and, and I'll even give you 10% off the top of whatever you give me. It was a, it was a pretty good bargain, it seemed, and, and he felt so bad now having bargained with God after how good God had been all these years. Whew, God was patient with Jacob. Well, God had taken him all the way, those 500 miles up to Haran to to safety, to a new home, and he met his, his kind of new father, Laban. It was his uncle, but he treated him like a son, at least at first, and, and kind of the father that he never had, and, and he just felt like, oh, this is a home. And, and he met Rachel, the love of his life. And, oh, he remembered sitting there in between in between wrestling with this man, he, he remembered that first kiss and how he cried when he kissed her. Oh, home was a long way away and he'd probably never see his mom again. And he thought about how, gosh, he was so unwilling to go, to go back that when Laban wanted to pay him to take care of the land, he said, no, no, I'll work here for, for seven years if you'll give me Rachel's hand. That would assure he didn't have to go back to Esau, you see. And so he worked those seven years, but then he started to see, apparently he'd met his match in this Laban man. wonder if that's who he was wrestling with. Because Laban, Laban, instead of giving him Rachel after the seven years, all of a sudden it was Leah, the older sister. Now she had eyes just like Rachel, but she was not Rachel, believe you me. And it was not okay. Laban just said, well, that's how we do it here. You know, the firstborn child has to be married first. God, if Jacob heard one more thing about firstborn, he was just going to throw up. Seven years later, seven years of tending the land and the livestock of Laban, he finally got Rachel's hand. And, and in the middle of all this wrestling, this man, he was, he was remembering how he had stood up for himself finally to Laban as he could. I mean, he, he tried to strike a deal with him where he'd be paid by, by livestock. And, and so they that he got the livestock, and, but Laban kept changing the rules. It was like the cheat was cheating the cheater, or the trickster was tricking the trickster. It was like he had a mirror of himself with Laban. 
How did that work? Was he wrestling Laban? And Laban's manipulations just increased and increased. And finally, Jacob gathered his strength. After all, he did have some strength and power on his own. And, and he thought, it's time. I've got to go back home. And it's, it's like he heard God telling him, you know, it's time to go home and meet Esau face to face. Well, he gathered his wives and his maids and his sons and probably the daughters, but they weren't mentioned, and, and the livestock and the servants, tons of livestock by then. It was, like, it was thousands. And they all left while Laban had gone to shear his little scrawny sheep. God, in the hours of that wrestling, Jacob, Jacob strengthened, remembering how he had stood up to Laban when, when Laban had caught up to him and his family, and he said, no, you have, have changed the rules. I've given you everything that I told you. We are square, and here's the line. You will not cross this line, he said, to Laban. He stood his ground. He knew, after all, that this trickster had gone legit. Well, was it Laban that he was wrestling, or, or was it himself? Or, wait, was this Esau? After all, he, he would be meeting him tomorrow. And, oh, he had sent the scout and, and told, him, told him, you know, Jacob's coming to meet you. And, and, and then the scout said, Esau's coming to meet you with 400 of his men. Maybe this was Esau that had come for him and he'd never survive. He had hoped that Esau's heart would be softened by those gifts that he had given, the five droves of livestock, over 500 sheep and goats and camels and, and donkeys and cattle and you name it, gift after gift. And, a, and his servant saying, this is in the name of your servant Jacob, Master Esau. And then Jacob thought, you know, they really weren't gifts. They really were bribes. And boom, a right hook. It was like, oh my gosh. Just shaking, shaking from this wrestling. And, and he thought, as he caught his breath, if I see Esau face to face, I wonder if he'll accept me. He was bone tired. And, and there on the black horizon, this, this peachy glow just coming up. And the man who'd wrestled him all night to prove his power once and for all just kind of slipped his hip out of the socket. 
And then he said, let me go. We're done. It's sun up. And Jacob said, no, no, I won't let you go. And he stood his ground and he said, I've been fighting you this whole way. I will not let you go. And then these words came out of his mouth that he couldn't believe. It's like they tumbled out unchecked. And he said, until you bless me. And he thought, where did that come from? The one who had stolen the blessing never knew that he was blessed. His heart begged for the blessing. The man who had wrestled him said, I will call you Israel because you have persisted. You have finally a humble power a persisting power. You are Israel. And Jacob said, I've met God face to face. Well, face to face meetings are important. That's when you come in authenticity and, and vulnerability. It, you kind of peel that mask off and set it aside. Face-to-face -face meetings require maturity, self-reflection, a wanting to come together, to know one another. <clears throat> Jacob believed that he had seen God face-to-face. -face. But I wonder if he was wrestling with God that whole time or maybe himself. Sometimes, sometimes those face-to-face -face meetings with God look like wrestling. I've been wrestling with God a, a lot these last couple of weeks, ever since a friend of mine dropped dead of a brain aneurysm. We've been wrestling, and I'm not letting go. When God meets us, we see ourselves and we're changed. So I kind of think God's going to be showing me something maybe about my presumption. I don't know. When we meet God, when God meets us, it's like we see ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that, that our reflection is God, okay? It doesn't mean God looks like us. <clears throat> it doesn't mean that we look like God, although there may be a God seed in us that does. What I think it means is that when we look in God's eyes and we, we see that love pouring out for us, that right there maybe in the middle of his pupil is a mirror, and we see ourselves as we are, flooded with that love. And we can't help but be changed by it. 
I want to shift gears just for a minute to give an illustration. My, um, the last four years of my mom's life, she didn't really meet anyone face to face because she had um, um, become very withdrawn. She would not be vulnerable. She would not be present. She was quite broken. And um, when she died, I was talking to my grandson, John, and telling him, you know, great-grandma died. And we were talking about all the stuff, you know. And then I said, but the good news is she is whole. And he looks at me right in the eyes, and he said, whole? And I said, yes. Do you know what whole is? And he said, can I go color? And I thought, well, there went that. <laughs> and he came back with a sheet of paper that had a cranberry-colored oval on it with a line in the middle of it. And then over here, an orange one. No line. Over here, he had a square with a line in the middle of it. Half. Over here, a whole one. A rectangle, halves, over here, whole. My mom is now whole, but you don't have to die to get whole. Maybe ultimate wholeness. Whenever we meet God, we see that we're just half. We thought we were whole. We were trying to be whole. We thought we were supposed to be whole. And God looks at us, the half of us is sitting there, and love pouring out. He knows we're just half. That's how he made us. So we'd need him. We see our halfness bathed in love and somehow we're a little bit more whole. God meets us and we meet ourselves. And then we're a little bit more whole. We are invited to Christ's table. Christ meets us here, face to face. The good news is that meeting at the table is not a wrestling match, because Christ has already fought the battle. Christ has won the battle, your battle and my battle. Christ meets us here, face to face, with eyes of love. Come as you are for Christ's sake. Come as you are for your sake. Come as you are.